Welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 433. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast. First, I'd like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show to Cookie Worlds, who reviewed on Apple Podcasts. This week's interview is with Amelia Sordell, who's a born entrepreneur, now founder of Clout, a personal branding agency based in London, and she has an impressive following on LinkedIn. We discuss Amelia's entrepreneurial journey her philosophy and principles in leading clout, how she manages her own personal brand, as well as providing useful tips and advice for others seeking to gain trust, be authentic, and build a personal brand. You'll love Amelia's practical counsel and straight talk approach. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And as ever, please do consider dropping your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Amelia. Amelia Sordell, it's great to have you on my show. I was introduced to you by my daughter, and I have to say this is the very first time this has happened. I've invited a a daughter-inspired guest onto my show. Amelia, in your own words, how would you like to describe yourself? Well, thank you so much for having me, first of all, and thank you to your daughter for introducing me. Alexandra. (laughs) Um, how to de- how to describe myself? I am a personal branding human to human marketeer. I think it's probably the easiest way to describe myself, and I run an agency that does it for people. That's brilliant. So the agency you founded called Clout K L O W T, the personal branding agency. So tell us about the backstory and the founding of Clout, because obviously you did things before Clout founding it. And I'd love to know a little bit your journey towards founding your own company. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know what? I feel like everyone has like an unexpected route to entrepreneurship. And actually I am probably the most predictable uh, founder of business you could possibly come across. I am that, you know, cookie cutter, had a lemonade stand when I was six, sold all my toys outside the front of my parents' house when I was 10, had an eBay business reselling, you know, designer clothes that I'd bought from Oxfam at 12, you know, started a started a baking business at university selling brownies to all the, the kids that were smoking weed out the back of the, oh, nice. the university it. campus. Yeah. Um, Because I was like, what, what more do potheads like other than baked goods? So munchies, I'm gonna go and, munchies. Yeah. I'm going to go and set up a little table and I'm going to sell these guys and girls um, cookies and brownies. And so my whole journey has always been about like, where's the next thing? Where's the next thing? Like, what can I be selling? What can I be doing? What can I be doing? So cookie cutter, it has always been in me. Um, I don't think all entrepreneurs are, are born. I think some are made, but I was definitely born with that kind of hustle sort of, I guess, DNA. But with when it comes to clout, it was a real natural um, progression because I was working in-house as a marketeer with a lot of um, specifically recruitment agencies, but I worked for a VC that invested in recruitment agencies. And one of the things that I noticed with um, professional services and B2B businesses more broadly is people buy from people. It doesn't matter whether you're selling to a business as a business, there is someone behind that business with the credit card, with the you know, procurement role with everything that are going to hit that pay button. And unless you can appeal to them and give them a reason to buy from you, because let's be honest, almost every single service product in the world has a competitor. Um, And if you don't have a competitor, then your product's probably not sitting in the right market. Um, So what makes you different? Well, what makes you different is the person that's got the credit card or the person that's got the ability to pay you likes you, trusts you, knows you, wants to buy from you. People have always bought from people they know. Personal branding and human to human marketing is a really scalable way to build up that trust and that kind of human to human connection so that you're not sitting there smashing phones, trying to connect with people one-on-one, you're building those relationships really scalably. So that's how um, Clout came about. I was doing that for a number of businesses. building out my own personal brand, obviously, because it was a proof of concept. Like you can't Better. tell people to do something if you don't do it yourself. Um, I have to be a practitioner of what I preach. And I started to get a lot of people coming to me asking for advice on how they should be building their personal brand as well. It wasn't, it wasn't something I necessarily was outwardly talking about. I was just building my brand up as a marketeer. 
Um, but people were coming to me asking me, hey, how are you creating these videos? How are you create, you know, going viral on LinkedIn? Like how, you know, whatever. And so I thought, well, maybe I should charge for this. Um, <laughs> there's, there's something in here. That was that little six-year-old. There's some good lemonade. There's some good lemonade. Yeah, there's, there's a little six-year-old ringing a bell going, Amelia, we can sell this um, uh, in my head. And yeah, I, I quit my job in the middle of a global pandemic and left on a Friday, started on a Monday, had two clients by the following Thursday. So it's literally since we started, it's been a wild ride, um, but a fun one. I do love that. And so now you have several employees, as I understand it. Yeah, we have four, four, five, four. We're about about to hire another couple of people. Good for you. And uh, you're all working distributedly, I assume? Um, well, well, we have an office, um, and our, cl- our kind of general rule of thumb is if you want to work from home, work from home, if you feel comfortable working from home, work from home, if you want to be in the office, come and be in the office. It's whatever our team feels suits their safety and comfort levels. I'm not one of those employers that has to be watching my team work. Like at the end of the day, if the work gets done, I don't mind whether you're working two hours a day or a hundred, <laughs> like as long as it gets is- done and done to a high level, then we're all good. That is such the right way to go about it. I mean, in my experience. So I, I want to um, start with your own version of you as in your personal brand. It's been my observation, um, certainly for having worked in big corporates, a lot of agencies tell us what to do, but absolutely are shit at doing it themselves for themselves. So <laughs> yeah. really, when, I mean, it, it just astounds me that when you look at the websites of some agencies, I mean, of course, some of them are, are brilliant, but they, and, and the individuals who are running them, they don't have the personal brands. They, the, the websites aren't clear as to what their differentiating concept is. The fact that you have a strong personal brand is a, a, a significant endorsement as far as I'm concerned, if I were looking to build my personal brand. And, and so the, the question I have is, how have you gone about it for you? What, what was the motor, the little cog that got it? I mean, to some degree, there's always gonna be, you can rewrite history how you got there but tell us about some of the the elements that got you to where you now are because you have quite the following on linkedin so it's as i said like earlier it was such an organic journey like for me i definitely built the community before i built the business and i think that's a very like direct to consumer way of marketing and of of building business models you can you only have to look at the likes of like Gymshark and Beauty Pie and you know all these like disruptors in the business to see there is a massive pattern with successful businesses of building communities before they then say hey we have this awesome product um, would you like to buy it and so I definitely followed that whether it was consciously or not I built up that community before I then said hey I can actually help you do this as well. Um, in terms of like how practically I built that following it started off really um <laughs> really quite abruptly actually my so my for context my very very good friend and former boss my former uh, chief commercial officer Andrew McCaskill um, I would have these discussions with him at the, the you know company that we both worked for um, and he'd be like you need to post that on LinkedIn that's like that's a really interesting point because I have as you've probably seen with my content on LinkedIn quite strong opinions about things and I'm fully no. okay in standing behind them like I I one of the reasons I love LinkedIn so much is it's a discussion forum that the most action happens in the DMs and in the comments and I love that like generally speaking it's not a negative platform people are genuinely there to have a really interesting discussion with you whether you agree with me or not like it's it's a great platform to have that um and he was like you need to be sharing this stuff like you know I had this I was talking to him I never forget in whatever it was June 2018 I think and I said oh b2b and b2c is the same and he was like what do you mean it's the same and I was like well at the end of the day there is a human being behind both sides of that so whether you're selling a business product or you're selling a consumer product, you've got to kind of appeal to them psychologically in the same way. It's just selling painkillers and dreams, really. And he was like, you need to share that online. So shared it online and got a little bit of interest and then got that dopamine hit and have been doing it ever since. But I think the beauty of personal branding, uh, you know, in a different way to to company branding is it evolves as you evolve. It evolves as your career evolves. It evolves as your interests change, your family changes, your business changes, your business moves on into something else. You know, you might switch careers. And I think the beauty of 
building something around yourself and building a community around yourself is those people will come with you, whether you're doing marketing or you're doing engineering, like they want to be part of your journey. And I think it's really important. There'll be people listening to this going, no one needs a personal brand. Why do you need a personal brand? The reality is it used to be what you know, then it was who you know, and now it's all about who knows you. Um, And if people, a lot of people know who you are, it makes your life a hell of a lot easier to succeed. I love that. I'm quickly writing down in in notes that are useful takeaways. That that's absolutely lovely. The 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 words you said about LinkedIn made me. It strikes a, a chord because it, it is true that much of social media, where much of personal branding has to happen, does come with bobs and negativity when it comes to a Twitter. Uh, and the fact is that I, I, my belief is that the, 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 it's not just that LinkedIn is a professional place. It is that everybody's nominative. So you can't just go and shag, you know, say some horrible thing, shout out on LinkedIn, because you can trace, trace it back. And I think that also must help. And so the choice of LinkedIn for you was around this fact that the conversation you can build community and that people are more constructive in their method. I mean, I wish I could say it was that well thought out. It was literally my audience, like who I was trying to attract at the time were on LinkedIn. So I was like, well, this is just a no brainer for me. I'm also not that bothered about, and I shouldn't say this because I'm running a social media agency, but I'm not that bothered about Instagram. Like the thought of having to sit there and take, like my team are constantly on my ass to like create content for Instagram. but photos don't interest me video videos interest me um text discussion interests me but the format of instagram just doesn't really sit with who i am um Mm -hmm. it's all kind of shiny and not real and Mm -hmm. and i'm just not about that i want to have like real discussions with people Mm -hmm. i don't care what your zara outfit is and you know the latest bag that you bought from chanel like i don't care i care about having discussions about interesting things and I think you'll find like, even with TikTok, like TikTok is a really great space to have those kind of discussions as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a beautiful marriage between sort of the authenticity of say a Twitter, as much as people will think that Twitter can be pretty negative space, depending on where you go with it. And the kind of educational side and the positivity of LinkedIn without it being too shiny and nice. Like I think platforms like Facebook and Instagram will ultimately die because people aren't that interested in that type of content right now. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look at all the things like Discord and Reddit, and obviously Reddit's been around for a while, but growing in popularity, people want authenticity. They want realness. They want discussion. They don't want to have to see someone's highlight reel of their vacation in Mykonos five years ago. Like it's just not interesting anymore. I think, and I think actually TikTok has really found their niche with that because they're marrying what people want instead of just thinking of what people want. And is the element of TikTok that works best then because it's a video? Because it's kind of harder to manipulate your video as opposed to an image. Yeah, I think that I think the thing is video is always slightly more engaging than a static image, right? Because it's a moving object and we all we all are attracted to shiny things. I think also the complexities of getting your message across in 60 seconds or less, although they've just brought in this three minute video format as well, is really hard. And so the quality of what you have to put out within those 60 seconds to make an impact is wild. Like mm-hmm. you you can't get away with editing stuff in your, like you, if you, anyone right now, pick up your phone, download the app if you haven't already got it and scroll through TikTok, you'll be hard pressed to find a produced video. They are all created in TikTok, you know, minimal editing. Someone might have chucked a couple of written subtitles in there that probably have some spelling mistakes. And I think that's part of that, that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it interesting. That's why, you know, people are engaged in other people, not necessarily like the shininess of other people. I think the really good example of this is, you know, people love reality TV, but the Kardashians are no longer relevant as a TV show because it's not real. People want Love Island. They want, you know, seeing people falling out of bed drunk because that's real. <laughs> people like that stuff. TikTok's the same. It's real. It's like, you know, people having their real thoughts, their real funny moments, their real sad moments, their real educational moments. Um, and ultimately that kind of stems all the way back to my point I made earlier, which is people buy from people. 
So why wouldn't you want to build up a brand that people want to buy from? Like it just makes a whole lot of sense from a sales perspective, but also from an employer branding perspective, from an opportunities perspective. If you're someone who doesn't want to start a business or doesn't want to own a business or doesn't, you know, have any interest to be an entrepreneur from a career perspective, like how awesome would it be if you had like the head of, you know, L'Oreal hit you up and say, hey, I saw your TikToks on marketing in the beauty industry in 2021. We would love to invite you to do an internship. Boom. Competitive advantage. Like it's a no brainer for me. I want to get to that. Absolutely. In in the word authenticity, a word we ban, you know, bandy about quite a lot. There is imperfection in if we're truly authentic, we have imperfections. And I, I liked one of your I think I found it on Instagram where you say um, done is better than perfect. And, and so this idea of imperfection is, is a, a tough one because especially when you're trying to do branding image uh, and tuck and nip, you're all about creating the one you want to project as a brander. So talk to me about how you deal with imperfection. Where is it, I mean, at some level, you have the confidence that, that, you know, oozes out of you, which helps to just move into places where you're not worried if there's a typo. But which, what- by the way, I make all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, almost every single time I post, I'll post and then go, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then do you edit? Well, then do you, do you edit that? Presumably, I right? do. Yeah, I it, I do. I'm I am very dyslexic, and I pass everything through Grammarly before it goes out. Um, but sometimes stuff gets missed, and that I'm fully okay with that. And it's quite interesting that you said, you know, about being, you know, imperfect and all that kind of stuff. There is always someone waiting, just waiting on LinkedIn for me to do something that's wrong or incorrect or whatever, so that they can like swoop in, and it's almost like seconds after I post it. Um, it's not always the same people. Well, it is always the same people, but it's a group of people. Um, and now I'm just like, so what? Like, so what if I spelt choice wrong? So what? You got the point. Like, yeah. does it matter? Like, to well, me, is- my message matters so much more than the medium which it's delivered in, which is why I kind of live by that mantra of done is better than perfect. It's actually one of our company brand values is done is better than perfect. Well, done well is better than perfect, I should say. Um, but yeah, I just think that people spend a lot of time focusing on the production, like the quality of their production and not enough time on the quality of their message. I think if we all spent more time thinking about the message we were trying to deliver, the value we we're trying to give to our community, the point we were trying to get across, we'd, you'd all grow so much quicker in sales, you know, personal confidence, community, et cetera. Because really speaking, there might be one or two people that are like, oh, you spelt it wrong. Okay. Well done. I spelt it yeah. wrong. And, yeah. it, might, <laughs> and- <laughs> it might, it might, it might say more about them. Yeah. Well, as- exactly. You know, it's, it's not the end of the world. No one's going to die because you spelt something wrong. Right. And um, another link with my daughter, Alexandra, she is also highly dyslexic. Uh, but I think it, it uh, if you have the right attitude, you can turn it into a strength. So the, the question for me is to what extent you will integrate showing an imperfection. I mean, so spelling, right, forget the spelling story. Uh, This is a great thought I have. I want to throw that out to the world and and see what people think. And let's have a conversation about it. But then there's the, I'm really shit at, for example, taking criticism. And then just putting that out there as part of who I am. And that's an authentic version of me. So the question then is, to what extent will you portray explicitly or do you recommend portraying explicitly imperfections that truly are not your best side if that's a tough one to answer because it's different for everyone right so mm-hmm. you say you i think you said earlier about my com- my confidence and yeah i'm what i'm very confident i'm very secure in who i am as a person but it's not always been that way i was incredibly shy as a child um between the ages of bearing in mind I grew up I was very outgoing I was as I am now and I moved to the UK when I was about six or seven or seven years old and I was moved into a class which was two or three years or two years above the age group I should have been in um, I was you know behind on reading behind on writing I had a funny accent because I didn't speak like everyone else I was really tall I was like 
very, very tall for my, I'm five nine now. So as a woman, I'm pretty tall anyway, but mm-hmm. then I was, as you can imagine, like the tallest kid in the class by a, a country mile. And so I was thrown into this environment where I stuck out like a sore thumb. So I did everything I could to shrink myself, everything. I didn't speak, I didn't, I would go to restaurants with my family as like a 10, 12 year old. And I'd be so scared to speak to the waiter that my dad would have to order my food for me. Or I'd never answer the house phone because I didn't want to have to speak to anyone. And so what, So you know, this kid that grew up being incredibly confident doing like naked cartwheels in the garden, like was now this kid that literally was so terrified of being judged and being wrong and being picked on that she completely shrunk herself. And it's, it only took, I think, and that's, you know, a, a, a pattern that formed throughout the, the rest of my life up until the age of about 27. Um, was when I really, and after I had my second child, when I really kind of looked back at my life and just thought, can I swear? Fuck it. I just thought, fuck it. Like what, like life is too short for me to sit here trying to appease other people. People are going to have an opinion of me, whether I say nothing or whether I say everything. So I might as well say what I think. And if people don't like it, then Maybe I'm wrong, but also maybe they're wrong. And I'm fully okay with that. As long as it's right for me, that's the right thing. And so that confidence has had to be built. And the only way I've built that confidence is by exposing myself to criticism constantly. Like one of the things that we say to clients is like, what have we sucked at for you? Like, where have we dropped the ball? Please be brutal. Like it could be the most mind, like in most instances, thank God, it is the most minor things, but it helps us improve. And it also exposes me and the team to the fact that we don't do stuff right all the time. And that's okay. I say to my team, when we have our one-on-ones, what do I suck at as a manager? And they'll be like, you know what? Your communication wasn't that great this month. And I'm like, great. I now know that I need to be better at communicating with you. And unless you're exposing yourself to criticism, to difference of opinion, to diversity of thought constantly, you just become an echo chamber of people sharing the same opinions as you. There's no real discussion. You don't learn anything. You don't grow as a human being. You don't grow as a business. So you have to expose yourself to criticism. And taking that first step might seem incredibly scary now. And people listening to this might think, oh, she, you know, she's, she says all these things online. Like it's easy for her to say that. I didn't start out that way. You know, sometimes you just got to hit post and just walk away. <laughs> just mm-hmm. leave it. Don't read the comments. Just say what you've got to say and then leave. Well, you do that's have the healthiest thing you can do. Yeah, you do have a knack of of stirring conversation, and I think that that knack comes from the sort of natural forthrightness of your opinion. You don't hold back, and and so you don't have the sort of institutionalized boring cotton wool effect that so many people have where they're trying to manicure everything to look like they're perfect. I don't caveat anything. <laughs> yes, great. I think I think that's the thing that a lot of people get wrong with social media is they try and caveat too much so that the mm-hmm. point of what they're trying to make is missed. Sometimes you've yeah. just got to say it and then make the caveats in the comments. <laughs> and I think that that is something that I suffer from. I am a, I'm, I really like to live in the nuance and I think that that's where the conversations should be. But I, I suffer with that, I, that it's a hang up that I bring into the post because I, I, also, I already want to sort of stimulate the conversation because, you know, I was just saying, you know, it's all black or it's all white it can be controversial, uh, but it's only all black in, uh, you know, 4.2% 4, 4, 2, of situations. So if I say it's all black, and then leave for 4.2% in the comments. I feel like I'm actually lying in the initial point. But anyway, that's, that's something Minter has to work out for himself. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. 
Um, so Amelia, you, um, so let's start with um, advice. So, uh, and I, I think it'll be interesting to nuance it for girls and boys who are coming out of university, like my daughter, Alexandra, what advice do you give to them about creating their personal brand as they want to enter into the job market or, you know, maybe be a startup as well? I think first and foremost, you have to get super clear on what you want to do. Like, and by the way, what you want to do doesn't mean you have to do it forever. Like it, it, it just has to be what you want to do right now. Like, what do you want to do in this moment? You've just left university. What is your ideal career job? What do you enjoy doing? If you don't, can't even answer that question. So here's a, this is a really good example. I was having um, one-to-ones with my team. We do monthly one-to-ones because I think quarterly is too long to wait. So monthly one-to-ones. And I always ask them like, what can, you know, what do you want to be doing? What is your dream job? How can we make this your dream job? And that then gives me all these data points about like what they're interested in and all these things. And what will transpire is like, they might be doing this right now, but actually what they really love, and they might be really good at that thing, what they really love doing is that. So what do you love doing, number one? Then go out and figure out which platform, the industry in which you wanna do the thing that you love in is most prevalent. So for example, if you wanna work in beauty, you wanna be on TikTok and Instagram. If you wanna work in SaaS or technology, you probably wanna be on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you wanna work in marketing, you probably wanna be on LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, like all the things. And once you get clear on what it is that you wanna be known for, you then start putting out content related to those things. And by the way, you're not an expert. We know you're not an expert. Share interesting stuff. It doesn't have to be, oh my God, I'm the expert in social media marketing. Here are the five tips to, but no, you don't need to do that. You can simply say, hey, I'm a graduate and I think this article is really interesting where they say that there's the other five tips that you should be. So you start becoming the research expert of your niche. I guarantee you will attract interest. Not only will you build a community of people who are marketeers or people who are trying to get into tech or trying to get into beauty or like whatever it is that you, you're trying to get into, you will attract those people into your ecosystem and you will eventually start attracting employers because they will see that you're proactive, you're interesting, you have something to say. And I'll tell you this right now, most of the jobs that are out there are not advertised. So by getting into hiring managers' heads as someone that puts stuff out there, you will give yourself a competitive advantage against all the other people, all the other graduates are doing the same thing, which is just sending out CVs and hoping for the best. Don't do that. Brilliant advice, Amelia. Absolutely stunningly practical and thoughtful with regard to the mindset of, of the you know, 20, 20-year-old startups starter uppers, if you will, who are, who are going into it. So um, on clout, your company website, you write, building something that wins great clients, attracts awesome employees and accelerates your business growth is awesome. And you talk about that in the context, of course, of building a personal brand, uh, even as an executive. So now you're talking to an old man who has been around the block and what advice or how do you construct a, a personal brand like when you're an old geezer, uh, been around the block, successful, uh, running a large company? Uh, and what is the element of personal brand with regard to my corporate brand? It's, I'm glad you asked this question, actually, because we work with a lot of like, well, not a lot. We have a decent chuck, chunk of clients that are Fortune 250, Fortune 500, FTSE 250 businesses. So you can imagine there the kind of balance of building out a personal brand for a CEO versus managing the shareholder expectations is quite a delicate one to manage. So we, 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 we understand the task that you're assigning us. Um, I think the easiest thing is to start with what I said earlier, getting clear on what it is that you want to be known for, but also what are your goals? Like, are your goals to get more, like, yes, it's great. I want more PR. Brilliant. But why? Why do you want more PR? Is it because you've got a new product coming out? Is it because you're about to IPO? Is it because you need to hire better talent? Or is it because you have really good talent coming through, but they're all outbound, not inbound? Is it that the quality of the inbound stuff that you're getting not high enough for your culture? So we need to like improve that. So is it sales? What is it that you want to do? We need to get super, super clear. Normally we try and identify three goals. So like the, the most important goal and then kind of the two sort of 
less kind of important, but also things that we would like to aim for. So once you get clear on those with an example, say we're using you Minter as an example, say, you know, you need more talent because you're going through this massive period of growth and we need to get more inbound talent. You know, you're paying recruiters too much money. You know, your talent team is overstretched, et cetera. So employer brand is the number one. So the second thing might be, you know, because we're going through all this growth, we also need more sales. So the second thing might be inbound leads to your company website. So let's go with those two things. Once we've identified what those goals are, we then move into the layer of like, what are you most confident in talking about? What do you want to be known for? So for me, the easiest way to break this up for an executive or a CEO that's representing their brand is number one, you talk about the culture of the business, right? What, from an employer branding perspective, very obvious choice, but what happens inside the doors of the office? Why are people so amazing here? What is the leadership, you know, um, progression strategy for someone coming in at 21? Like, what can they be aiming for when they're 35? What does that look like? That's number one. Number two would be you as a leader. So we've got culture as one pillar. Leadership. What are your thoughts about leadership? Why? What makes a good leader? What makes a bad leader? You know, let's talk about some of the companies that are amazing at leadership. Let's talk about some of the benefits that are amazing. Let's talk about leadership as a whole, management, except there's so many things that we can go for there. And then the third thing I would talk about would be like whatever your second or third goal is, right? So if you're a CEO of a business and you're say, let's kind of scrap this idea that it's a, a, a floated company on the stock exchange. Let's say you're a, you're a scaling startup and you've just had 25 million in investment or whatever. You might want to talk about being a startup founder and how crazy that is, because that really plays into your employer branding too. Because if one of the issues that you have is that the quality of the inbound stuff is not quite matching the fast paced agility you need to work in a startup, let's give them the real hell. Like let's tell them what it's really like to be in this environment. So that's kind of the second layer of your strategy. So first layer is goal. Second layer is what you want to be known for. And now we have these macro ideas of culture, leadership, and um, say startup life or whatever it is you want your third one to be, we then start building content out underneath those pillars. And the easiest way to do this for bigger businesses or exec busy executives is to bring in your marketing team, work with us or work with you, know, you on this strategy. And they just go out and find all the content that fits within those three pillars. And then you just simply share it. It does not need to be in your quote unquote tone of voice to still be relevant. You can be sharing images from your company sports day and say, oh God, can't believe our team lost the end. Like that could be the post, but you're still adding value to people because you're showing them what it's like to work in your business. I think people really overcomplicate the idea of personal branding because they focus too much on the branding bit and not enough on the personal bit, which is just get it out there. Just get your face out there. Get, say what you want to say. Well, that is a, a wonderful breakdown because the, the question I have is how personal should personal be? When you're when you are you, Amelia, uh, you obviously have things you will not post. This could be uh, elements about your family or or secrets you which are appropriate. You know, I like I, I constantly like to say that there is beauty in secrecy. There's beauty in in privacy, uh, and um, and we all should have and and respect that. Yet, when you want personal, if it's sugar coated, cotton wooled and and institutionalized it's completely unengaging so how do you inform a ce executive to bring in their personality into personal such that it's not something that the comms department has to oversee yeah i love that you asked this question so first of all it depends it's like the classic marketing answer, isn't it? It depends. The consultant's depends. answer. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the individual first and foremost. Like how comfortable are you opening your doors? But I always use Gary Vee as an example. This man, Gary every, yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk, every single person that knows who Gary Vee is feels like they know him because he's very personal, right? But you know nothing about his family. You know nothing about his private life. You don't know what he does on the weekend. You know nothing about his kids, where he lives, what he does, nothing. So my, my for me, I am, you will know everything about my opinions and most people online know nothing about me because I'm very personal, but I'm not private. 
And I think there's a very, very big difference between being personal and you getting to know my personality and my thoughts and feelings on stuff and me sharing my private information, my private life, my children. You'll never see a picture of my kids online. You'll very rarely hear me to speak about them. I very rarely speak about my husband. If, if, I, get, if I speak about it, it's normally because I'm asked about it or someone asks a question about football and I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, this happened. But I very rarely speak about my private life. However, I am the same person on this podcast as I am with my friends, with my favorite clients, with my you know colleagues, with my family, et cetera. It's the same person. I'm just not private online. And I think that's yeah. a good barometer for people. That's right. The challenge for individuals, because this is what I write about, is making the separation between private and personal. Because there, there's historically essentially been the professional place. I'm an expert in my space. I'm very rational. I'm all about performance and generally perfection. And then because we know we've got this private space, we kind of include in private everything that's personal. So that could be my the fact that I support a certain club or that I have a political view or I have uh, an opinion that is impolitically correct. God forbid that that should happen. So because I have those elements, then I would rather just stick with professional and not have any incursions into my personal space because I have this private stuff. And, and, and because I have that, that gives me an excuse not to be personal or to talk about anything personal. Yet, do I believe that you need to find ways to, to introduce more of your person, your personality, and your personal elements into it without, of course, going all the way down to privacy. So the challenge is moving that line. As you say, it depends. But when, you, when you're looking at, at senior executives, do you have, any, have you had any experience that sort of says, aha, this turns them the light on and moves them from the strictly professional into the personal? Is any any advice or, or thoughts that come to mind in that? The easiest way to kind of temperature check it and to make sure that there is kind of some fluidity there is to basically say, hey, how would I speak to my favorite client? How would I speak to, you know, our best colleague, etc." Because if you would speak to your favorite client that way, and if you would speak to your, you know, best colleague that way, there's a high chance that that's like the right level of of personality. Like, um, it's not, it's not very often in my experience in um, kind of the boardroom that you would have a CEO talking to, you know, the, the head of a department about their kids in depth. It might be, Oh, how, how was your weekend? Oh, I went on the the, the zoo with the kids. Oh, how was it? Yeah, it was great. Like the end, you know, that they have children, but no one's going to sit there and like discuss like, you know, how well their swimming lesson went on that weekend. Like no one really cares, but we all care personally about the person. We just don't really care about their private life, right? So I think that's a really good temperature check for people. It's like, how would you speak to your favorite client? How would you speak to your most close colleague? So this is a tricky question, Amelia. Um, you're an agency. Should a an executive outsource their personal brand? To an agency Obviously. like you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. No, it's it's a it's a funny thing, you know. So we we are an agency, yes, and we we obviously are outsourced marketing function. We work with, you know, CEOs, founders, et cetera, et cetera, on, on their personal brands. We also work with companies to roll out personal branding as a strategy within their employee base. So we build up these incredible content banks that employees can kind of dip into and share content. So they're building their personal brand whilst building the company brand. Um, I think it depends, again, my classic consultant answer. It depends on what your resource is, what your time availability is, because let's not get it twisted. This takes time. And I'm not going to tell anyone that it doesn't. It does. It takes time and effort. However, the results you get from it are so clearly improved from an outbound strategy. Like it might take you six to 12 months for it to kick in, but the results that you'll get on, like get from building out a personal brand are bottom line heavy like they make a very big difference to the quality of the sales you make the lifetime value of your customers to the quality of the inbound candidates that you get to the hires you make to how long they stay with the business to your current employees engagement levels it just makes a massive massive difference so it depends on how well resourced your marketing function is. Can they help you? Can they support you? Um, how heavily do you believe in this yourself? Do you need a real 
aggressive handholding um, through this process because that's what we do for our clients. You know, we'll have marketing departments come to us saying like, this is a strategy we want to we want to do this year. We see the value in personal branding, and then when we come to speak the CEO, they're like, oh, I'm not really sure. So we are that kind of aggressive cow prod that pushes people into the light to make sure that they know why this is important, support them in that journey, make them feel comfortably uncomfortable. Um, and, and make sure that that strategy gets executed. So it, it's a number of things, right? Outsource yeah. it if you're worried and you don't know how to do it and you don't have the internal support. Do it internally if you feel like you've got it covered. But definitely consider it because I promise you right now, your competitors are. <laughs> right. Well, when I meant outsourcing, I, I was thinking about having somebody else do your personal brand. So whether it's internal or external is, is a different thought. Um, or, you know, should, should Minter be typing his tweets or LinkedIn posts, or should he delegate that to somebody else? It depends how, how much Minter cares about whether or not he types it or not. Um, you have two options here. You can either do it yourself and you just do it like I do my personal brand. I, I'll be listening to a podcast in the morning as I do every morning and I'll hear things and I'll just say, oh, pause that podcast. That's really interesting. And I'll dictate what my thought is into my phone because that's how I operate. And also it's a good trick for people that want to um, share content because when you write how you speak, it converts much much better online love that i love that tip. so i dictate a lot like pretty much all my content into my phone um so that's one thing the other thing you could do is if you were time stretched and as pretty much every executive is they've got a million one things going on you can have someone internally or externally like whoever that might person be sit down and have an interview with you once a month where they ask you 10 to 20 questions for an hour based around the pillars that you've previously identified based around the goals that you've previously identified and record that session jump on a zoom jump on you know riverside fm if you want a higher quality and then you can ask your internal team to get that transcribed so you've got then 10 to 20 different posts and cut up that video footage into 10 to 20 different videos. So now we have like 40 pieces of content. So you don't have to worry about it for the next month. That's a very, very practical way of like helping busy executives make sure they're building their personal brand that's authentic to them in their tone of voice because it's literally transcribed. All the marketing team needs to do is just fluff it out a little bit or cut it down in more cases than not. Um, and then just get that video footage edited. And also it's great for the marketing team because it means they've got a ton of content they otherwise wouldn't have. Brilliant advice, Emilia. You obviously know what you're talking about, really. Um, so in front of you, you might have uh, different profiles. We talked about it depends. Uh, women, a female versus a male executive, and a introvert versus an extrovert. What, what contours do you have around the way that that should go? Because you're obviously more of an extrovert, I'm going to guess, characterize yourself that way. Um, I, as am I, and it's easier for extroverts at some level to go out there. Introverts and and women, um, what what contours do you have around that? I think with the introvert extrovert thing, like I've had this discussion quite a lot on LinkedIn about people like you know, oh, if I'm an introvert, how can I build my personal brand? You don't need to be on video. You don't need to do any of those things. You just have to share your thoughts. And your thoughts might be a really long-winded post that take up all the characters that LinkedIn allows you. It might be that, you know, you write an article and share it on Medium. Like, you don't have to kind of confine yourself to what other people are doing. There's plenty of examples of people who are self-identify as introverts who are doing a really good job of building their personal brand because they know that they've got a lot of value to add and they want to have a discussion with with someone i think the biggest hurdle for people who are more so if you're introverted um, with sharing your opinions online is like worrying what other people are going to are going to think about it and, and spending too much time in their head without kind of worrying too much about what the messages that they're sharing and the value that the people that are trying to attract might gain from it. So, you know, if you're someone who is sharing these things with your clients, with your colleagues, et cetera, then you should be sharing them online because if those people find them interesting, there's a high probability that people online will find them interesting too. So, you know, tips again dictate your thoughts into your phone remove the barrier for yourself of having to sit down and get that stuff out written it, it in my experience it's just painful for someone that is not overly confident to sit down and write stuff out because you're spending too much time trying to make it perfect just get that 
thing dictated into the notes section of your phone, post it and keep it moving. Um, and to go into your point about the gender stuff, like it's actually really interesting. And, and this, you know, I don't have enough data points to say that this is a fact, but it is an observation that I've, I've made. Our female clients, I would say, are far more okay with being what I call not vanilla than a lot of our male clients. Like they are fully okay in, in putting them out themselves out there, taking a risk, um, not as worried about what other people will think of them. Um, and they're fully okay to back their opinions on stuff. Um, and with some of our male, and again, this is, I'm not saying this is a, a fact, it's just simply an observation. All the instances where we've had clients be like, oh, I can't say that. I can't say that. have all been men. And they, they are in some instances worried about what their colleagues and peers are going to say. There's this whole kind of, um, I guess, emotionally, maybe ego fragility sort of stuff going on where they're worried someone's going to screenshot something and send it to their mate and it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing for me because I, I kind of think, why do you care? But for them, it's a really big deal. And that's fully okay. I'm not kind of poo-pooing their feelings, you know, but we would never force someone to post something they wouldn't want to post. But at the same time, it's like, it's very, mm. it's a very interesting thing because you think it would be the opposite way around. Well, because we do talk maybe, about risk. Maybe stereotypically, but yeah. Right. We talk about risk aversion, right? And and the, mm. the idea is that men are less risk averse when it comes to adventure mm. and going out and tackling the wild or an enormous mountain or the cold of the polar, polar north. Whereas here, it's about our personal being. And uh, I, I fully believe, Amelia, and this might, you know, generalizations being what they are, I, I fully believe that uh, when a woman is a woman uh, who feels confident that she's far more able to accept her imperfections than a man is. And it, it makes them more wholesome because the thing I've been trying to tackle into in our chat today is this notion with regard to authenticity is, is the ability to talk about our imperfections or at least to present mm -hmm. a non-perfect image. And despite the, I mean, maybe it's because men have, all, you know, generally run, you know, fashion magazines and fashion organizations and, and have been the one who prescribes the retouching of images at some level. We've created the society, but I think underneath it, it's a, uh, it speaks volumes of truth, what you say in, in your observations, so. Well, it goes back to the same point as to, you know, men have the highest level of suicide, the highest level of depression, the highest level of anxiety. And that's because they don't talk to each other because they're worried about what their mates are going to think. Like it all stems from the same thing. Um, women are inherently more open, more honest, more authentic with one another. They've got more of a sense of community. Um, we don't have kind of typically surface level friendships. Like we'll have very good friends that we tell everything to, maybe too much to. Um, and stereotypically, I'm not going to say generally, because, you know, there will be a lot of people listening to this saying, hey, I've got really good friends and I tell them everything. Sure. But stereotypically, men don't have that same relationship with their friends that a woman would have with her friends. So I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, nonetheless, though, we do push our clients off Mount Comfortable and uh, try and get them to share their thoughts because... Really and truly, like, what is that? We will never, ever tell a client to share something that's potentially going to damage them. Like, it's just of not going to happen. And yeah. we would never work with clients that have damaging things to say in, in the first place. So, you know, on some level, you've got to kind of go, what's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to not agree with me. My mate might screenshot it. So what? Hey, and look at it. Look at it as advertising. Um, that's uh, just joking. But I, I you know, it, it really, I, I studied women's studies, as I told you before we got in there, about uh, uh, women's studies at a university in the States in the 1980s. And it really, it, it strikes me that uh, men could do much better in their social existence if they were able to embrace more of this. So that's the positive note I wanted to go to. In the last few minutes we have, um, I'm dying to know, um, and these are tips for Minter, basically. I mean, I'm not saying about my personal brand, uh, although that would be fun, but what tools do you use and which are your favorite go-to at the moment for managing your online presence? I mean, is it all native to each site or do you use some interesting tools that we could... Um, use as well so we post natively everywhere um 
mainly because the algorithm prefers it. Um, we like LinkedIn is not a fan of third party. They'll tell you they are. It's utter rubbish. We've tested it a number of times. Um, so we post. So if you use like a buffer, if you use buffer, for example, it will negatively impact your reach. Yeah. Yeah, we've tested it off. We tested it a lot because we, we keep thinking, oh, maybe it was, you know, no, no, every single month. It always, it always, it, the thing is, it's not even like it's a measurable difference. It's a dramatic difference. It's like one post will get natively posted, will get 50,000 views. The one that's been scheduled will get 5,000. Like it's not even comparable. Um, so I would always advocate posting natively in every single platform you can. The one that you can actually schedule stuff where it doesn't seem to or appear to anywhere based on our data make a difference is Instagram. Instagram seems to be absolutely fine with you scheduling content. And for that, we make uh, or we use, I should say, Planoli, um, which is the, literally the best app ever. Um, you can schedule your grid out so you know what it looks like. Um, you can look at really quite in-depth insights for a kind of very basic scheduling platform. Um, you can schedule stories as well. Uh, you know, the one thing you can't do is schedule reels, but what we do is just put um, placeholders in there and then we, my team knows to, to schedule them or do them manually, post them natively. Um, so Planoli is a good one. Canva, oh my gosh, like that is just a game changer, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. I think people everywhere listening to this who've got any kind of graphic design experience are probably rolling around crying, but like Canva has just opened up almost every single tiny low budget team to the possibilities of, wow, we can actually go and create stuff and just get it out within 10 minutes if we wanted to. So Canva is a really, really good one. And we use, that's something we use internally. Um, what else? Shield, Shield app, which is the analytics platform that we use for LinkedIn is a game changer. So for anyone that's really serious about building their personal brand on LinkedIn, I highly recommend you get Shield. I won't bore you with the semantics of what's included with it, but you get some very granular data on individual posts, on overall reach, overall views, overall engagement rates, et cetera, et cetera. You can tag stuff so you can start to form patterns as to what's doing well and what's not. Very, very good platform. Um, what else do we use? We use so many things internally. Like it's, there's just, there's just the- Sure, just and, and the, for listening, my brains. I, for what about for listening? What are your, in terms of just finding out what's going on Social listening. You? So yeah, I mean, we use Buzzsumo, um, but that's mainly for search stuff. I mean, it, it, there is a very big correlation between what people are searching for and like what actually trends on social media. Like it's a very underrated, underrated tool or underrated way of finding stuff to comment on. Mm -hmm. um, another thing we will also use is answer the public. Again, it's similar, it's, it's similar to DeBuzzSumo, but it's kind of the opposite way around. So like, what are people um, asking right now? Um, answer the public is a really, really good one. And it's, it's, better, it's like free versus like BuzzSumo is like a hundred pounds a month. So for every average Joe, BuzzSumo is going to be completely irrelevant, but answer the public, I believe is like free or very, very low cost. Um, for um, listening, I mean, we are very, very basic in the sense that we've got very clear pillars for each one of our clients and our team get like Google alerts is probably a really good one for people that's quite an accessible thing. So if you're someone that's trying to stand out in the marketing industry or trying to attract marketeers into your space, get on top of Google alerts within the marketing sphere, get yourself on, you know, marketing Twitter. Marketing Twitter is a great place to be if you're a marketeer trying to attract other marketeers. Um, there's just a load of things. The thing is we, we are constantly changing. Like we change how we do stuff almost monthly um, just simply because like the ecosystem which we operate in and the industry that our clients operate in changes so quickly. Yeah. There's probably another one as well. It's like less about personal branding and more about just like who your clients or you are competing with as a business. There's a company called Nerdy Data um, where you can literally put in, um, particularly to tech businesses, but you can put in... Um, the name of a business and it will kick back all their competitors, which mm. is a very good way of staying on top of like relevant industry stuff, especially if your client's competitor's just been acquired, you can be like, hey, maybe we should up your spend on this product because well, you're gonna be competing. One of the key points <laughs> really is this notion of relevancy. So that that's a great recommendation. Yeah. And as relevancy, you say- Relevancy trending on top yeah. of everything, you have to be, otherwise you're just completely, otherwise you're the opposite, which is irrelevant. There could not be anything worse than being irrelevant. Indeed. Amelia, on these uh, wonderful words, last words, um, how can people find you, follow you, uh, track you down, and obviously get in touch with Clout? 
I am on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all of my handles are Amelia Sordell. Um, I believe I'm the only Amelia Sordell in the world. So if you type me into Google, you should be able to find me if you can't be bothered to go on any of those platforms. <laughs> I will, of course, put all of these into the show notes. Amelia, it's been an absolute pleasure. Must be one of the most productive, most insightful uh, podcasts I've had. Um, really very useful. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on interdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, Here's a song I wrote. It's Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel Anticipating the thrill of your intellect Maybe I tell myself There's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man Building an urge I'm a convinced man To live and die submerged A convinced man In the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man Challenge my fate. I'm a convinced man. Competition's innate. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. Despise revenges and struggle with deceit. Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete. What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. The feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust in my reason and let me show you why. I'm a convinced man practicing my lines. I'm a convinced man hearing these confines. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man, admit to the test. I'm a convinced man, I'm ready for an arrest. I'm a convinced man, in the arms of a woman.
the Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.